Hello, I'm M. And I'm Eyes. And welcome to our brand new podcast, Tipples and Tolkien. Let us be your guides as we return to Middle Earth this fall with the premiere of the new Amazon show, Rings of Power. We'll discuss episodes with you, tell tales of old, and even bring you a brand new tipple recipe every week to enjoy. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, as well as Twitter, which is at Tipples Tolkien, that is T-I-P-P-L-E-S t-o-l-k-i-e-n and instagram at tipples and tolkien so cozy up pour yourself a drink and come on a journey with us this fall on tipples and tolkien stations action stations set condition one throughout the podcast welcome again to set condition one a night shift radio production i'm your host sc1 actual caleb and joining me on the cic is my exo kitsy that's me that's that's who i am (laughs) and the president of the 12 colonies andrea hi hello how are we doing today pretty good excellent Excellent. welcome welcome back and welcome back, listener, or welcome to our first-time listeners. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are uh, discussing the 2004 sci-fi epic Battlestar Galactica, uh, and we are talking about a new episode every week. So if you like what you hear today, make sure you give us a subscribe so you get a new episode every week without even trying. No effort on your part. But with that said, let's dive in previously on Battlestar Galactica. So we're hot off the heels of uh, Starbucks' big adventure <laughs> on the, uh, the desolate moon with her friend, the Cylon Raider, <sighs> and uh, the harrowing events of the sabotage on the Battlestar Galactica and the loss of the, the fleet's water. But all that's behind us, or so we think. And as we open, there's the silhouette of uh, a familiar figure. Could that be our old friend, Doral? A hundred percent. The... The, uh, the Capricorn tennis player, or whatever he is. <laughs> I'd recognize that adorable silhouette anywhere. Oh, boy. I'd I... recommend, re- recognize that ill-fitting jacket. Oh, maybe uh, it's the jacket. I was trying to figure out why, uh, like, the most nondescript brown-haired white man was so easily recognizable from behind, other than the Cylon drums playing, you know? But, but, <laughs> Cylon drums. Um, but I think it may have been the jacket. You're right. I think it's the jacket. The jacket was what immediately caught yeah. my eye. Huh. Meanwhile, uh, the chief and Boomer are at it again, up to their old tricks with a, uh, a surreptitious meeting in the, uh, the reservoir. Uh, Is that where they are? They're in the, the water reservoir? They're in the reservoir, which seems to be a little bit too on the nose, uh, if you're asking me. 
Uh, and See, nobody did, but it's okay because <laughs> it's our podcast, so I can say it if I want. I mean, literally, that's the point is to just say things that we think about the show, which uh, brings me to my next point, which is uh, I think it's really weird that this reservoir has like all this room above it. You are that, obsessed that with you the can, you, wasted space. Yes, because it's not how you build spacecraft. It's just not. It's and, not rocket science, and God. It is. Literally is. It literally is rocket science. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's just such a weird room because you've got like there's the water that's just apparently open. Like this is a spaceship. It goes in zero gravity. It turns it like, like the water be everywhere. I'm sorry. It just wouldn't just like sit in it like a swimming pool, which also is what I thought that room was. And I'm like, why do they have a swimming pool on the Battlestar Galactica? People want some uh, some recreation. They want to swim. No, I I'm I get that. I just think that you know when you prioritize like what's going to go on your military spaceship, I think swimming pool is probably pretty low. There is <laughs> just me. a You're swimming pool right. on Battlestar Galactica, and I can sell you a key. It's on the roof. Oh sweet! Oh, oh. the roof. Yeah, that's yes, excellent. <laughs> S- slight sidebar. Slight sidebar. Probably won't make it in the podcast, but this is very on brand for me. Um, when I lived in Sydney. Uh, I lived in an apartment building with a couple other people from the company that moved over from the U.S. Caleb knows the story already, so do I. So, I mean, I know it already either way, but I just don't want you to have to. I'm telling it anyway. I don't care. I've started telling it. I can't stop. (laughs) So, uh, so I lived in this apartment building in Sydney with some other people from my, my company and they kept telling me like, oh, you should check out the swimming pool on the roof. And I was like, okay, haha, very funny. And I lived there for a good six months before I realized there legit actually was a swimming pool on the roof and they weren't fucking with me. And I could have been using Why didn't you believe them? What? Because that's the oldest trick in the book. Like, yeah, there's a swimming pool on the roof. Who puts a swimming pool on the roof of a building? Who tries to play that as a as a prank? It's a high school thing. It's like the the key to the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, so you weren't bullied is the thing. I see. Yeah, I I see. Now now we're starting to understand this. I was bullied in different ways. No one ever tried to get me to go on roofs. Because you don't have a gullible face like like uh, like I do. Me and uh, Kitsy over here. It may be because I wasn't known for going in water. Possibly. <laughs> I, don't, I still still as a grown adult don't do that. So I, was I saying, guess now maybe you people I don't think do I've that. ever seen you do that. People don't know that won't uh, that won't work on me. Hmm. Uh, no, I've seen you in a hot tub. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I, I will go in a hot tub. That's the worst kind of water. It is. You know, I, I don't care. It's people soup. I'm not gonna drown in it. Oh, that's fair. Just stagnant and, boy soup. Ugh. And there may be there may be all sorts of microorganisms, but there's no like large scary monsters uh, from the the depths of the the hellish abyss. That's a good point. That's fair. <laughs> Correct. Meanwhile, while the chief <laughs> and Boomer are having their their secret meeting in the reservoir, uh, fucking literally right on top of the uh, the galactic as a water supply. Uh, our friend, uh, our friend Doral is just wandering the halls unchecked. Nobody, uh, nobody notices him until uh, good old Saul Ty walks around the corner and recognizes a familiar face. Stops and calls for security. Uh, just at that moment, the commander also rounds another corner and also recognizes someone who shouldn't be there uh, and calls out for him. Doral! I love the the different reactions that Adama and Ty have. Like, Ty is, like, very discreetly, like, picks the phone. He's like, I need a security detail sent to the afternoon. <laughs> from the back. Nobody, nobody, nobody let, let him know that we're coming. We're going to sneak up on him. And Adama's just like, hey, motherfucker! 
fucker. <laughs> and it's so funny, like it's so there there are a couple of things going on there. Like I'm trying not to jump ahead because I think that's a really interesting contrast with what happens a few seconds later. Mm-hmm. But it's so the show, right? He comes on and I'm yelling at my scream. I'm like, can't you like I can tell it's Doral from behind. Why is nobody? Yeah. And then, <laughs> of course, the two of them, because they know what they're doing, both recognize him immediately and jump to some sort of action. Um, so then I'm the dummy for thinking that they're not going to notice him. Um, and then um, well, I mean, to be fair, like Ty and Adama are like two of the six people who know. Yeah. Well, and that's how you know, though, that whatever's going to happen is going to be bad because Doral is not worried at all about being recognized. So this is not a stealth mission to begin with. Um, yeah. And yeah, so. And as uh, Doral turns around and recognizes Adama and realizes he's been caught, he uh, pulls aside his jacket and we see that he's wired with explosives. And just before he hits the detonator, motherfucking Commander Adama is about to try to tackle him. Uh, and Ty has to drag him out of the way of the blast, uh, which, again, shows their, uh, their differing reactions to this, uh, this situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the takeaway I took from that is, like, Adama's trying to throw himself on the grenade and save everyone. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Ty is like, dude, we fucking need you. Get over here in this in this little side thing so yeah. you don't die because, but, holy shit, then I'll be in charge and we're all fucked. I'm going to come right out and say the rest of the show is real bad if Adama dies this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I, I had written in my uh, special notebook Adama's instinct, right, to dive to protect versus um, ties to save their own asses. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I was going to say that is in conflict with what you pointed out, Kitsy, um, with uh, Adama, you know, immediately yelling and drawing attention to himself and Ty um, being a little more prepared. But I thinking about it now, I think that's actually right in line. Yeah. that He'd yell and dive on a thing while Ty makes a secret call and pulls Adama back. But Ty acts very much like, uh, like a, a top security personnel. Like he, he assesses the situation, he acts calmly, and he follows procedure. Uh, Adama reacts as the fucking papa bear of the ship, like, <laughs> I'm going to protect my people no matter what. Yeah, he's, he's going to confront and this problem head on. Right or wrong, they both have, uh, they both have a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, uh, this explosion rocks the Galactica, kills three, injures 13 more, uh, at a time when... Realistically, the the fleet can't can't deal with too many more deaths like this. Like this is like the Cylons are are chipping away at the Colonials with these attacks. Well, and it's it's interesting when you think about it. Like the Cylons can keep making more Cylons, right? They can keep mm-hmm. making as many as uh, presumably as many as they want. We don't really know of any limitations in their Cylon making process at this point. Um, I imagine there are some kind of like materials or uh, resources that are needed and that they're, they are a finite number, but presumably they can just keep making them. The other thing that's interesting about this implication is that when you think about suicide missions like this with Doral, Doral, his body died, but he got transferred back to the Cylon ship and can be put into another body. So -hmm. this could very well be the same Doral as last time back with a vengeance. Yeah. So like when, so when you think about it, like the Cylons literally could take out humanity three or four people at a time with suicide bombings and never run out of Cylons. Are we, I know that that's what they have told us. I know that that is what six told 
the whoever she met in the first part of the miniseries that when she dies, her consciousness would be moved to another body. Oh, that would be Gaius Baltar. Oh, was it Gaius? That's, yeah. 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 That seems like too much stuff. Like, to be able to transfer your consciousness to a new body and also run off as many copies as you need. I guess this is still a conversation we've been having, where at least for me, from episode one, which is, are they all? So, like, um, does that Doral with the memories that Doral has get sent back to the ship and put into a new different copy. And then if they need a second copy, where does that consciousness come from? So we, we find out a little bit more about this later in the show, but I don't think it's really a huge spoiler because six did kind of pretty much say this is how it works in the miniseries. So I'll, I'll give a little clarification. If you're okay with that, Caleb. Sure. If I say anything that's like too spoilery, we can cut it out of the podcast, but It'd be like, ah, ah, ah. But, but basically, basically, yeah, that's that's kind of how it works is they can make as many like think of the body as just like a shell and then they can put whatever love to like every consciousness is unique. Like each one has its own, like they all have their own basic personality, like every Doral has the basic core set of like Doral personalities, but they can make as many copies of that as they want and put those into as many Dorals as they want. OK, um, but then so like you could in theory have the same Doral consciousness get dumped into body after body after body after body as he does suicide missions. Or... But, likewise, you can't always assume that the next Doral you see is going to be that same consciousness. Okay, that was my... That was my... Uh, yeah. That was my question. Thank you. So that's... Yeah. yeah. That's basically how, how yeah. it works. That doesn't feel like a, a spoiler. I feel like you just clarified some information I already had floating around. So that yeah, feels... I mean, it's, it's really just a, a little bit more of an expansion on what mm-hmm. Six already said, but they yeah. do... Later in the series, they do actually explore that a little more in depth, which is how I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not really a big like, oh my god, they yeah. can do that because it's kind of been like that from the beginning. I just wasn't sure if they were, yeah, okay. And we're getting a little bit of that now with Sharon, who mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come back to later in this episode. Um, but it's important to address that next we meet uh, someone who's uh, very important to this episode, but it's only kind of been like mentioned in passing in previous episodes, and that's Sergeant Hadrian, the Master of Arms. Uh, <laughs> who I love. Uh, when we, we first watched this episode, Andrea, uh, you, you mentioned, you said, I, I'm five minutes into this episode, and I already like want to give up my lifelong pacifism to punch Sergeant Hadrian. <laughs> and it continued. There was no... That is... I would right now love to. I, yeah. <laughs> I've never hated a character quite so quickly and felt so justified the whole time in doing so. And we're introduced to her essentially grilling Adama and Ty about why she was kept in the dark about the the Cylons looking like us. Uh, which, I mean, it's a good point, but you know, they they acted the way that they they thought was best for the fleet to try to like keep this secret from getting out and like causing a panic. And you know, it, it came back to bite them, but. They did what they did, and they stand behind it. And, I, you know, I, I respect that about their decision-making. Yeah, uh, they, she actually, when they do get to the questioning part, so we, we can talk about this more then, but when they, they get to the questioning part, um, you know, she does say, like, isn't it true if we had known this, we would have done things differently and blah, blah, blah. And, and Adama's like, you know, maybe, but I made the decision I felt was right at the time, and I'm standing behind that. Yeah. And, like, I think that, that really goes back to a few episodes where, you know, Dom was saying, like, a man lives with his decisions right or wrong and stands by mm-hmm. them. Like, that just shows you that, like, that wasn't just a speech he gave Lee. Like, that's literally his life philosophy is, like, you know, I 
I weighed the possibilities of, of each outcome and this is the one I picked and this is the one we went with. And, you know, for better or worse, that's where we are. And he's yeah, you can shit. Yeah. You could tell that like it's not lost on him when like a decision that he made turns out to have been maybe not the best one. Um, but he doesn't linger on it. Yeah. He doesn't let that become the driving factor for him. He he moves forward and tries to learn from that, which I think is uh, a great role model for us all. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, and Sergeant Hadrian, in uh, realizing that you know there there now may be Cylon agents uh, aboard the Galactica and throughout the fleet, uh, essentially asks for the freedom to uh, put together an independent tribunal to hunt down the the culprits in this uh, in this suicide bombing, uh, and Adama agrees. But, but Laura Roslin does not think it's a good idea. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, no, I, I love that. She essentially says like, look, all of this transparency and this, the, this idea of an independent tribunal, like this all sounds well and good, but, you know, be careful what it comes out to be. Cause you know, we, uh, what, like I'm, I'm trying to find. She says like, I don't want a witch this. hunt. Yeah. Yeah. There's a price to be paid when asking for the public's help. They're going to demand at the very least that someone be held accountable. That's, I, I think that's a, a great line, and it's, it's very prescient from Rosalind to recognize that, and it shows a little bit of her longstanding career kind of at the periphery of politics, where, mm-hmm. like, she hasn't necessarily been in the thick of it, but, like, she's been able to observe the way people respond to situations like this. Well, I think the really interesting thing, too, is that she makes it very clear that, you know, they're going to have to basically string up somebody because they screwed up. Mm-hmm. And and that that's not necessarily a good thing. And Adama says, you know, we don't know that someone screwed up. And she's like, Asylum got aboard your ship, got his <laughs> hands on explosives and blew himself up. Someone on your team screwed up. Like she's made it very clear, like someone dropped the ball here, but it's not necessarily a good thing to have to, like, you know, publicly execute that person, whether literally or metaphorically um, over that, yeah. because, you know, people make mistakes. It's not necessarily an act of treason if you just screwed up at your job. So I think that's a very interesting stance to take. I agree. I agree. And Sergeant Hadrian goes on her uh, investigation and uh, tell us about that. Yeah. Andrea, tell us about that. I hate her. I hate her. <laughs> I've never. She- Actually, I particularly want to hear Andrea's take on this. <laughs> Me too. She comes in so hot is the thing too. She is like the fact that she, her first request is independent tribunal, full power she is like on the hunt for like like y'all said someone to string up and the fact that um president uh rosalind knows right away that there's going to be a witch hunt she says i don't want a witch hunt um and beyond my yelling about her though the what i particularly liked about that little montage of questioning is this like um kind of send up of the investigative uh police procedural drama where she's like you know going around um investigating everybody and nobody can quite remember where what is it reminds me of the john mulaney bit when he does and i'm not gonna do it but i feel like 90 percent of our listeners will know um but uh it's it's such a fun um moment despite the fact that i hate her Um, (laughs) she does this thing where it's like i was watching it and i was thinking you know She's right. It is suspicious that everybody has a different um, 
reason or place where uh, Chief Tyrrell was, right? Because that's really what she kind of um, zeroes in on right away, is that she's getting conflicting information there. Um, but the fact that she thinks there can only be one reason why his uh, crew would be lying for him, she's like, that's not how investigation works. You don't go in trying to prove your theory. You know, she's collecting this information and shaping it for her narrative. Um, I kind of got the impression that she was like, it, it wasn't just her, her goal wasn't to find out what, ha- like how the Cylon got on, on board and blew up the ship. Her goal was to find out who's doing something wrong and how in trouble can we get them for it? Yeah. Like, it just seems like she's out to find out all the shit anyone's ever done wrong and nail them to the wall for it. It was really strange to me. And uh, I actually watched this through a couple times in preparation for this episode. And I can't see the point at which she has decided that Tiro must be guilty. But then just suddenly she's drilling everyone about where was the chief at during this? Like, did you see the chief? And so she's already decided that the chief was somehow involved in this. And I'm wondering how much that goes back to uh, the time that he spent covering for Boomer during the uh, during the, the water tank sabotage. And if the, uh, the master at arms, uh, has a bit of a chip on her shoulders that these things keep happening on her watch and she's trying her best to deflect that attention when really, uh, in the end, like she's responsible for that. And there's a, a bit of a, uh, a nod to that later on, mm-hmm. uh, when the chief points out that, uh, internal security is, uh, is under the purview of the master at arms. So, good. so all of these things happened on her watch. Yep. And uh, it's, it's really interesting to me that she zeroes in on one, one or two people in particular to deflect attention from herself, I think. So in my, uh, in my like behind the scenes fanfic brain, <laughs> um, I think that she's zeroing in on the chief right away because she knows about the chief and boomer. Like everyone does. And, but she herself has a thing for the chief. And so she's, Ooh. or maybe Boomer. Boomer. We don't know. We don't know. Could be Chief, could be Boomer. Could be both. Could be both. Maybe maybe she yeah. proposed to them that they have like a, uh, a uh, what's it called? Um, what's it called, Kitsy? Uh, triad. Triad, thank you. Propose a triad a with them. And a thruffle, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And they were just like, no, you kind of suck. And so now she's upset and she's trying to try to get them in trouble. You know, who knows? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm stretching mm-hmm. here. This is probably not at all what happened. Dr. Hadrian is a uh, Hadrian. It's, Hadrian. She's not Hadrian. a doctor. Oh, not doctor. That's right. Um, Sergeant. Sergeant. Ugh. Um, Sergeant. This is all canon Hadrian, now. Hadrian, yeah. yeah. This is all canon now. Is in cell. There's, oh my God. There's this great moment too where, uh, you know, she comes to grab Boomer and the chief for questioning Yes. And and they're just like, wait, what's this about? And people are are stepping up to be like, what's going on? What's going on? And she's just like, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. And then is it um is it Crashdown? Is that who pops up? Yes. Yeah, we, we were yes. trying to figure that out earlier. Uh, pops up was like, hey, what's what's this about? And she's just like not answering him. And uh, and Chief goes like gets her a little stab, and he's like, the lieutenant asked you a question, Sergeant. I love it. <laughs> so I love it. There's there is obvious tension between these two because when she's questioning the chief directly, he like is very like short and very like snippy with her, uh, and like you can see like there's some sort of like there's some history there. There's some bad we blood never, for sure. We don't know what it is, we, but it's there's got to be. 
I know it's yeah. going to start to get redundant, start eight episodes in, for me to keep saying something like this. But this is another really good example of the show um, letting you kind of fill in what you need to fill in and also mm-hmm. making decisions that a um, less careful and nuanced show um, wouldn't make. So when I first started watching it, um, I was like, uh, fucking um, Sergeant? Yeah, Sergeant um, Hadrian is a Cylon and that's why she's so intent on nailing somebody else down. Right. Um, and then 30 seconds later, I was like, Oh no, she's just power hungry. and sucks. And there are other <laughs> conflicts on this ship beyond trying to, you yeah. know, uh, sniff out the Cylons, etc. So while all this is happening, while Hadrian is having her investigation, uh, the president gives, uh, a press conference, uh, to kind of fill the, the rest of the people in. And this is the first time, that it's publicly announced that Cylons are able to take human form. Uh, or, and as we like to say, the Cylons look like, look us, like now. us now. I love how frequently that's said in these like, first handful of episodes. Uh, and like, it's, it's funny. Like, it, it seem, almost seems kind of awkward now, but like, I feel like for anyone that was familiar with Battlestar Galactica history uh, like, and with the original show, them like making this point like they look like us now like this is totally different this is like <laughs> totally like unexplored territory for us like had to have been huge mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, just like that's very that's something i hadn't thought about is how um directly they're talking to their audience with that as well that's really yeah. fun that's super fun they look I like, like that. us now <laughs> Uh, and of course, the uh, the fleet reacts kind of as we would expect people to. Uh, there's some panic. There's people uh, essentially deciding, like, well, you know, if anyone can be a Cylon, like, we can't trust anyone anymore. In fact, the uh, the deck crew, uh, Jammer, Sasinus, and Callie, have this conversation, uh, and I believe it's uh, I think it's Jammer who. Uh, basically says, like, you know, they've known about this the whole time. They just didn't tell us, like, you know, we can't trust anyone. It's everyone for himself now. <laughs> and, like, it's really unfortunate that that's the, the conclusion that he comes to. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, not, it's not unexpected that some people would, would make that. Yeah. Uh, and that we start to see some, some cracks in the, uh, the confidence of the fleet. Well, yeah, because they're even, like, you know, Callie says, like, they're going after the chief. And, and he's like, they're going after the Cylons. And she's mm-hmm. like, but the chief isn't a Cylon. And he's like, you don't know that. And she's like, yes, I do. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> yeah. And like, at, at this point, it, it's exactly what uh, people were afraid of now. Mm-hmm. Like, anyone could be a Cylon. We don't know. Uh, and so, of course, the official tribunal begins. And we see the questioning of Boomer. We see the questioning of the chief. And both of them maintain that they were asleep, that they, like, had no involvement in anything that was happening. Uh the uh, the master at arms, Sergeant Hadrian, uh, seems to maybe not believe, but accept uh, Boomer's testimony and, and lets her go. But she again, like, really lays into the chief, uh, and like she brings it right back around to this uh, this relationship that they have that's against regulations. Which, like, I kind of get. You know, rules are rules, but at the same time, this seems like a really odd sticking point, especially at the fucking end of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think she's <laughs> she's just out to nail someone to the wall for anything. 
Mm-hmm. Like she just wants to be a stickler for the rules. She doesn't care its relevance to the current problem. She's like, I just want to, someone's getting in trouble. I'm of two minds with that too, because I, that's a very kind of uh, archetypal, like the too strict, uh, too severe, right? She's like, it's like a nurse ratchet in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's mm-hmm. Nest or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh my God. What's the the worst one's name? I mean, J.K. Rowling's the worst one, but uh, the headmaster Holy Umbridge. Umbridge, Jesus. Yeah, that was that was. You know what? No, I'm I'm glad I'm erasing it from my memory. So, yeah. um, <laughs> but it's you know she's she's kind of part of that um, collection of characters who behave this way and end up going after the right person for the wrong reason or you know what I mean? Like yeah, um, absolutely. And so uh, while I do take a little umbrage um, <laughs> with with that kind of uh, characterization. Again, on a show like this where it's not super typical for them to play in those kinds of, to lazily at least play in those kinds of um, stereotypes or, or whatever. Um, I wasn't, yeah, I think that it was, I think that's the end of my sentence was a few words ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have the the, uh, the sergeant drilling Chief Tyrrell, uh, and you know he's not budging. You know he's he had his uh, he he did his rounds. Uh, he checked all the the entrance, all the hatches. Everything was logged appropriately. And at the time of the bombing, he was asleep. He's, that's his story. He's sticking to it. Uh, you know he's he has no idea how the 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 hatchway, our hatch combing on Sea Causeway could be uh, could have been left open, even though we see a flashback to the, their rendezvous uh, where Boomer actually says, I came through the hatch combing on Sea Causeway. Nobody saw me. And I'm like, oh. Uh-oh. So like, he definitely, like, like, you see, like, a gut punch to him there. But, like, he sticks to his story. Uh, and this is where he points out, you know, the internal security is uh, under the purview of the, the master at arms. So, like why didn't you know about this? And like, kind of he's, he's volleying with her. And I, mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, and so like she switches up her tactics and she throws at him all of the varying stories that his crew members uh, said that, that he was doing. And he's like, no, I wasn't doing any of those things. So they're like, well, why did they say you were, I don't know. Uh, and finally she, uh, she just comes straight to her point uh, and tries to accuse uh, him and uh, Sharon of, colluding with the Cylons, collaborating to, uh, uh, if not actively be participate in this bombing, to at least uh, enable it by leaving the, the hatch coming open. Uh, and the chief uh, essentially exercises his uh, constitutional rights to remain silent. And that's it for his testimony. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Doesn't Adrian, look good. <laughs> no. Hadrian takes that to be a, an admission of guilt, with, uh, of course, as we learn from... Uh, from Papa Dama, uh, his dad was a civil rights lawyer, and uh, that statute has never, uh, or that that accusation has never held up in court. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one has ever been uh, been uh, held guilty by exercising their right not to testify. So, Hadrian uh, then uh, switches tactics again and decides to uh, to nail one of the uh, the deck crew to the wall, uh, and that's uh, poor Sosinus, who. Uh, allows himself to take the fall for the chief, which is a really sad moment for me. Yeah, it's a bummer. But, you know, he, he, he says, like, I left my post. Um, 
I went I out for a not, cigarette. I went for a cigarette. I went to get some food. Uh, I must have left the the uh, the hatch coming open. Yeah, it was definitely me. The chief had nothing to do with it. Like he is loyal to a fault and like stands his ground that like it had to have been him and that lands him you know stripped of his rank and in the brig. Uh, luckily, lucky to not be executed, mm-hmm. honestly, with, with where they're going with this investigation. Last week when Starbuck tells, is it hot dog? Hot dog? Um, hot dog? <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> guess where I'm from. Um, uh, Starbuck made the the big deal about never leave your leader behind or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, just another example of this team again like you said it's it's the loyalty there because they are also um close and to lean on each other i think so much that he felt like like Tyrrell said like you said that that's what it was his job sort of to do in that moment um that's a great point and we have the the interlude prior to this where the chief catches the these three <laughs> jokers trying to make a, a oh yeah a, a moonshine with their own like homebrew still uh, and all they've succeeded doing is making poison in a, a <laughs> rig that'll probably blow up the ship itself if they're not careful uh, and you know we, they think that he's gonna he's gonna reprimand them he's like now come back later after after watch and I'll show you how to do this right now get out of here. Get out of here. I, Go on. You crazy kids. I think he even <laughs> says, like, damn kids at the end. He's not a regular uh, chief. He's a cool chief. I love the the way when they're like, who's going to taste it first? Like, they're all excited because <laughs> they're pouring their first cup of it. And the chief pops up behind him and is like, how about me? And they all turn around and like do that like casually and like, oh, hey, chief. We didn't see you there. How are you, how you doing? We're definitely not hiding a, a moonshine rig or anything. Mm-mm, no, not us. No. Definitely. No, no, we're just we're just being very you? casual and, and, and uh, yeah, no, nothing's nothing. Nothing bad's going on here, Chief. What's uh? How, how are you? So good. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a great moment because it really does reinforce that like family dynamic that the deck crew has. Uh, and again, like there's all of these different subgroups throughout the the uh, Galactica crew, uh, and they all have their own unique dynamic amongst them. And like the deck crew, they're they're just a they're a bunch of wild and crazy uh, kids <laughs> just trying to get by. Can I get in the Kitsy, were you going to say something cuz I'm going to get in the in the weeds a little bit if that's I've so. got my weed whacker ready. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> um early on in our discussions, um I had asked something about the distinct um characteristics if there were of the different colonies. Um and while you didn't necessarily uh agree with that, you did say there would it would be clear that there was some like class difference things going on. Um, and mm-hmm. something I noticed big time in this episode, and this is where I'm going to start to get in the weeds a little bit is even just the way different characters talk. Um, so there are a few things in this episode that felt very, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to word this and y'all are the, ma- no, you're not magicians. You're a word that sounds like that musicians um so <laughs> you uh word recall um so y'all might be better at um explaining maybe what is in my brain um but there's something very uh there's like a rhythm or something like it feels like you could almost scan as poetry some of the things that adama and um like i wrote down it's toward the end but there's a line where um adama says somewhere in there somewhere in this there's truth care to take me to it um that's a fact you should be in the brig they they scan like um 
like there's there's like a musicality there that I don't notice in somebody like um like the deck crew. Like once his face says, um uh we ain't nothing, um, which is a very different kind of way of speaking. And I noticed that the the deck crew um kind of speaks that way more. Um and it reminds me of um another thing I said early on that there's uh something kind of Shakespearean about this show to me. And that's one of those things where um the 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 king and his you know world they'll all speak in um mm-hmm. iambic pentameter for example um where uh lower characters won't have such a metered um rhythm mm-hmm. to their lines yeah um and i know that that was a really long way around to get there um but i'm just i haven't spent enough time actually like i said scanning and listening to um somebody like adama to see if there's how um, constant that pattern is or how intentional not, and I'm not saying that the show is trying to be Shakespeare but yeah so I love that you uh, that you point that out because uh, I'll, I'll say a couple things about that um, one it's it's a pretty safe bet that the deck crew that like the grunts of the ship are not from Caprica mm-hmm. like, yeah there are there are definite class divides uh, not just on the colonies, but amongst the colonies themselves. Now, Adama is a really interesting case because his family is from Toron, which is one of the lowest of the low, like poor, oh. like working class. Uh, think of the Adamas moving to Caprica City from Toron uh, very much as an analog of poor Italian immigrants moving to New York in like the, you know, the, the we'll say like 1800s yeah. in America. Uh, it's so, very uh, analogous to that. Like they were like from a you know a poor, uh, poor uh, like farming colony, moved to this big city, and uh, Adama's father like made his name as a lawyer and like kind of brought his family up into this uh, kind of newfound uh, stature. But like they still have roots mm-hmm. in one of these quote unquote lower class colonies. So if you're um, if you're if you're likening the Adamas moving to, to Caprica as like Italian immigrants coming to New York. Does that mean that the Galactica is Adama's family pizzeria? <laughs> I don't like this sparkling guy right now. I don't think so. <laughs> is anybody Italian here? Like on this podcast? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Then, then the answer is probably no. I think that's the, okay. the safe answer. <laughs> In this house, yes, but uh, <laughs> oh, no, Penelope's no. Italian. <laughs> yes, on her mother's side. <laughs> uh, and so, where were we? We we are we are way off track here. Uh, we're oh. somewhere in the podcast. So uh, we do need to, uh, speaking of Caprica, take a trip back there. But before we do, there's one last little bit of, uh, of exposition that we get. And it's in a side conversation between Baltar and Starbuck, where Starbuck proposes the idea that, like, isn't, isn't your lab on Sea Causeway or Sea Deck? Like, don't you think that maybe the Cylons were trying to take out you and your work? And Baltar's like, huh? I hadn't thought of that. And for Baltard not to think that he was the uh, the subject of the whole thing was actually a, like, yes, yeah. that's, 
that's big progress for Baltar. Uh, he or, immediately regresses. But or is it big progress, or is it a momentary uh, lapse in character? <laughs> it's, a, it's a serious lapse. Uh, but we do have a, a great moment where uh, Baltar is uh, having an argument with the six in his head, uh, and she has him pinned up against the wall. And one of the the Marines sees this happening, and he's just like, uh, "Best not to get involved." He needs to get it together. <laughs> Uh, we have multiple Dredas contacts. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump to a, another system. Uh, we'll, while we do that, listen to this ad from our sponsor this week, and we'll be back to talk about the rest of the episode. Setcon will make you jump, jump. God, I hate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Kitsy. And I'm Caleb. And this is Left of the Dial, a music podcast. Every week, we each dig into our collections for a record we love, or a new record we're excited about, and talk about it. We'll share clips of songs that stand out to us and discuss why we chose each one, what we love about it, what we don't, and why the record was important to us. Hopefully, we'll find some new music to love with every episode, and maybe you will too. So join us every Friday for new episodes at leftofthedial.fm or wherever podcasts are sold. And bring us back? Yeah. We're back. Uh, I still don't know how to do this properly. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, are all of our listeners accounted for? I believe so. Can you check again? Because thank you. I was, thank when we, you. When I was, we make mistakes, people stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> I was just checking to see if you were thorough. Mm-hmm. And you are. So congratulations. Excellent. Yes. We're all accounted for. I Excellent. Think we can move on. We can continue. Uh, so we mentioned earlier that uh, there's still some some drama happening down on uh, on planet Caprica, still occupied by uh, by the Cylons, and uh, it's it's always kind of like registered in the back of my mind, but it only like really jumped to the forefront this time around that uh, they specifically use that same visual filter that filmmakers like to uh, like to use to try to say that a place is a dump that it's uh, uh, <laughs> the the best description that I ever heard. It was referred to as the shithole country filter. Uh, more, more like more like Craprica, Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's the like they, they they make everything like yellow. The light has this mm-hmm. tint to it, and everything's hazy and whatnot. Uh, and it's typically used for uh, American filmmakers to be racist overseas. Uh, but here, it's actually uh, does have a, a purpose of showing that like Caprica's been fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've got uh, Hilo is he's on the search for for his lost Sharon, uh, and. We have three Cylons that are that are watching him uh, do this search. Uh, we have a six. We have a Doral, and of course Sharon, who uh, Hilo thinks has been uh, abducted, but uh, really she's uh, she's playing him. So at this point, we realize this Sharon knows exactly who she is and what her mission is. So that Sharon does know clearly who she is and what she's doing. But is that true the entire time? Um, it, I guess I don't know how good of an actor a Cylon is capable of being. because, And we do know that it can, in some way, there is some switch flipping because um, Boomer on uh, Battlestar Galactica, at least during uh, the water episode, right? Wherever mm-hmm, the one... Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't realize it's her, at least at first, who's yeah. planted all the stuff. And when um, Hilo comes across Boomer, um, 
she doesn't give me any indication as the viewer that she is acting like she seems, but I don't know. Um, Personal theory about these two. Uh, I think that Galactica Boomer at this point still doesn't entirely know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think she may be starting to suspect, but I don't think she entirely knows. I think that Caprica Boomer uh, knows exactly what she's doing. I think she was planted from the get-go with the intention of uh, testing and misleading Hilo, and I think it's working. And we see this discussion where, like, they they know that he's looking for her. Then she says he won't make his move until nightfall. Uh, if he wants to find me, he'll go north where he knows that there are Cylons. Uh, if he wants to get out of here, he'll go south to try to find another way off the planet. Mm-hmm. And we see them kind of discussing, like, you know, does he really love you enough to do this? And uh, She she seems to have the confidence that he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wondered if between then and when she comes to after six beats the shit out of her, that um, if there's some like (laughs) so she can uh, be more convincing. But that was just. Oh, so you're thinking like like her switch was flipped and she became Cylon aware and they did the planning and then they flipped it back off. I I just uh, just as like to protect their or to like. Yeah. Further obfuscate their. But, um, but I'm pretty sure uh, my I, I agree with Caleb. Like, I think she knew from the beginning, like she was oh, pretending yeah. to be Boomer and has been aware okay. that she's a Cylon the entire time and, right. and has been actively colluding with uh, the other Cylons. Yeah. Yeah. Behind Which Hilo's back. It feels right. It's curious because we see them like they'll go to like an all out attack and like destroy entire colonies at once. They'll have these massive uh Things where like they're they're hunting the fleet down and like engaging them full on uh, in like space dogfights. They have the suicide bombs. They have the you know the sabotage. They have all of these things where they're like coming right at the entire fleet. It's odd that they play like a little cat and mouse game with one human on Caprica and don't just outright kill him. Like, yeah. what is the purpose of like of leading him on? So. So that's the thing, right? If the Cylons wanted Hilo dead, he'd be dead. Absolutely. They're, they know exactly where he is. He's outnumbered. He is, you know, like he, he would be dead in an instant if they wanted him dead. I think uh, they are they are playing a cat and mouse game with him. I think they're they're experimenting with like psychological. Like this is a psychological experiment for them to see how. Mm-hmm humans react can they become like emotionally attached to cylons blah 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 like i think this is all them trying to see like how can we better infiltrate humans in the future we're going to take what we learn here and, and apply that to, to further missions yeah that's 100 percent what they're doing well, and they have a real sort of preoccupation um with love in particular like that's what that mm-hmm. whole conversation is about and um six at one point is um not in this episode earlier, um, really insistent on trying to get Gaius to tell her that he loves her, I think. Um, and then that comes into play, I think in the, it's either toward the end of this episode or in an upcoming episode. Um, but it's interesting of all of the, of all of the emotions, um, for them to be so caught up with that love is the one that, so, um, that they're so preoccupied. I think that the, Go ahead. They're very much trying to understand humanity and like they have this weird they have, they have a you know a connection to humans as their creators so to speak but uh, also a hatred of them as their you know former oppressors uh, and they're they're conflicted about that and they want to understand 
uh, almost as much, if not maybe more than they want to eliminate. Mm -hmm. I think too, like, you know, the, the kind of the one thing that separates humans and machines, um, is like emotion and love and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I I think that's why they're so obsessed with it is because they want to become as human as they can. Like they, they want to basically, the impression I guess they want to replace humanity completely and become Mm -hmm. the new humanity. And, uh, up to the point where like, they want to be able to have babies. They want to be able to fall in love. They want to be able to essentially be human completely, which is interesting. Yeah. And Andrew, you mentioned briefly, but, uh, before Sharon goes back to, uh, to meet up with Hilo, uh, she goes full in like commitment to the cause and allows uh, Doral and Six to beat the ever loving shit out of her. Mm-hmm. Let's be uh, fair; to, it's mostly Six. It's Dora, mostly Dora, Six. like taps her. Doral gets one punch in, and, and Sharon's like, "Is that enough?" And Six is like, "No," and then just fucking <laughs> annihilates her. <laughs> She's like, Sharon would uh, would put up much more of a fight than that, which is true. <laughs> goes to town, and I love like. Trisha Helfer's commitment to this mm-hmm. character and like the power she exudes from someone who like if you just look at her like you would not expect that I fucking love every time. Uh, it's just it's she's such a badass actor she's and like so plays good. this character so well. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. six six is physically and psychologically terrifying. I thought you were gonna. <laughs> say, I thought you were gonna say. Six is physically and psychologically a ten. Like, I thought that was your <laughs> no. It says, no. It says a lot about. It says more about you than me. That I thought that that was the joke you were gonna make. Just no, so you know. No, it, I just. She is. A she's, 10, a, she's a very terrifying person. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you refer to Cylons as a person? Yes. What is we'll, personhood? We'll come back to that. They're we'll they're back. non-human persons. Anyway, I mean, a dolphin. I think. That's actually a larger question of this show. Like, are Cylons yeah. people? Uh, and so I, I think we'll definitely come back to that multiple times. Um, but yeah, so uh, Hilo comes across a, a centurion uh, that kind of gets the jump on him. He, he kills it, and he uh, finds that uh, the centurion has, uh, has Sharon. Uh, she's been beat up, but she's okay. Like, you know, he's like, you know, can you walk? And they escape together, but... Little does he know they're being watched by the other two Cylons, which seems very obvious. I mean, they're they're standing on a catwalk just above them, like right out in the <laughs> open. Like if he had looked up at all, it'd be like, oh shit, there's two more people, uh, or maybe would have known there's two Cylons. Uh, we still don't know at this point how much he knows about the uh, humanoid Cylons. Uh, that happens so much. Like you you see that they're just like they're up on a roof where he could easily just look up and be like, oh hey look, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't it's, see them. Uh, it's a very uh, City of Angels sort of uh, aesthetic. Yeah, <laughs> the angels are just standing around watching. Um, and the angels look like us now. <laughs> the angels look like us now. Um, f- from there, we jump right back to the, the Galactica, and you know, Adama and Rosalind are, are discussing the situation, and Adama gets uh, uh, gets a visitor in his oh, uh, so good in his study. Uh, it's uh, some of the Marines, <laughs> and he's like. Madam President, I'm going to have to call you right back. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) He has no time for this shit. (laughs) None at all. Like, he knows exactly what's happening, but, like, he's going to make them say it. And, you know, he's like, you know, you've been, we've we've been instructed to bring you to the the Master at Arms, to the tribunal. He's like, 
let's go. <laughs> and so Adrian right back. Yeah. He's like, this won't take <laughs> yeah, long. This won't take long. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put an end to this and then uh, I'll call you back. Um, and so, like, we, we mentioned this earlier, the, the questioning of Adama by Sergeant Hadrian, uh, where she starts going down this speculative path of, like, you know, why didn't you tell us? Why did you withhold this information? Don't you think we would have reacted differently? And he's like, yeah, probably. But again, like, we made the decision that we thought was best uh, for the safety of the fleet. Uh, and <laughs> even, he even flat out says, like, I'm not going to sit here and speculate about what might have happened. Yeah. Um, and at one point, uh, she starts asking him about the, the relationship between uh, Valeri and Tyrrell uh, and, you know, it, the, you know, how he let it continue knowing about it. He's like, I don't see the relevance of this line of questioning, Sergeant. <laughs> well, the commander should bear in mind that my questions are not subject to commander's review. And he's just like, oh, really? And she's like, why did you allow the relationship to continue knowing it was against regulations? I'm a soft touch. And you see one of the tribunal guys crack up in the background. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I've never noticed dude. that. I've got I've to go rewatch that now. The it's tri- the, uh, the gray-haired dude on the, the far, like, if, uh, if you're facing the three of them, he's on the far right. Uh, okay. He turns to the one in the middle and just, like, cracks a big smile. <laughs> like, he's got a point. That's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, yeah, he, it almost sounds like he's, joking because he is so stern or whatever, but he is a soft fucking touch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he also, oh, the tribunal, um, those members, wonderful face actors again. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are communicating so much with those expressions. Also good pen acting. Very good pen acting. What they were, what they were writing just by the, the sort of furious uh, scribbling. I would like to see their notes. <laughs> there's some there's some other amazing face acting in this scene that we're going to get to in a second but uh b- before we do um you know eventually adama's just like you know what we're done here uh mm-hmm. and stands up and is like you've lost your way sergeant uh you probably have the line in front of you caleb i'll let you read it because i won't remember it um i do have it uh, oh yeah we, you've lost your way sergeant you've lost sight of the purpose of the law to protect its citizens not persecute them Whatever we are, whatever what's left of us, we're better than that. Now these proceedings are closed. You'll be transported back to your ships, and we appreciate your help. <laughs> just like so we're done, like good. this is over. Yeah. And the, like the kind of the head of the tribunal is like, I mean, this is an independent tribunal. Like you don't have the authority to do that. And he's just like, I just did. Watch me. Yeah. I just did. And look, because he said this, this is a witch hunt, and I'll not have it aboard my ship. And he starts to, to turn and and. Hadrian, like, as a last-ditch thing, like, tries to order the, uh, the corporal of the guard to restrain him and, like, bring him back. And um, so I, I said that yeah, I'm a soft touch. is my favorite moment. Uh, this actually is my favorite moment. Uh, <laughs> this is the- <laughs> one of my favorite Adama moments of the entire show. Because these guards are, like, a They're good like like, head taller old. than him. <laughs> Uh, they're they're significantly younger. They're like a, like a head a full head taller than him, but he yeah. just stands straight tall in in their face, and just says, "Your orders are to escort Sergeant Hadrian back to her quarters and keep her in confinement until further notice. Make your choice, son." <laughs> and you and see the corporal's eyes like, "Oh, he's like, to do. what the fuck do I do?" <laughs> like that that is some A plus face acting right there. Mm-hmm. He's just he's a deer in headlights. He's like I don't know which one to listen to. Yeah. 
And just, Sergeant Hadrian, if you'll come with us, please. Yeah. And he steps aside, and Adama just walks out, doesn't, doesn't turn, doesn't say another word, just walks out. And it is so badass. <clears throat> so good. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. EJO is a goddamn legend. Yep. And, like... That, like that make your choice son <laughs> so like it gives me like, chills mm-hmm. even just hearing you say it gives me chills <laughs> who else could just like s- like stone face just say a line that simple and have so much power behind it and i just love that you know that that kid I, I i made the joke there that they're like 12 but he looks like he's probably 1920 you know yeah, and like, like you said he's a he's a good head taller than than adama but just has this look of terror on his face for a second he's like oh fuck what do i do Mm-hmm. And then you you see in his face when he makes the decision because his, his expression changes and like you can see he's yes. like I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Hadrian, come I, with us. <laughs> I am absolutely going to do what the old man says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so of course the, uh, the the president gives another press conference and announces that the proceedings are closed. That uh, specialist assignus has uh, confessed and is being imprisoned, and like that's it. And uh, Tiro learns about this over the over the wireless as she's making this uh, announcement. He, you know, he hears it on the radio, and he goes to confront Adama about it because he doesn't think that it's right that society should take the fall for him. Can and we talk about how please. Adama is building a model ship? <laughs> she, it's Tiro enormous should, too. It's like it's huge. It takes up his whole desk, and it's like, where did the hell did that come from? I mean, it's clearly a project he's been working on for a while, and like, I mean, I guess when you're 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 not leaving your your quarters out in the depths of space anytime soon, like you might as well have a hobby. I just love. Could, <laughs> could he be any more of a grizzled old sea captain? Like, uh huh. <laughs> and like, you know, they have this conversation where you know, Chief says like, you know, you can't do this; it's not right. And he's like, you you like, first of all, you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do uh second like you know he lied under oath uh one way or the other and he's got to pay the price and you're going to pay another price you're going to you know walk out on that hangar deck every day and know that one of your men is in the brig because you couldn't keep your fly zipped uh which is great uh and i love like he's like you're the like the best uh most experienced non-commissioned officer we have left and this is another great adama line you keep my planes flying and i need my planes to fly dismissed (laughs) that's actually one of the lines I wrote down in my list of ones that um, popped for me for some reason uh, in terms of like, not even as somebody uh, like, I feel like if I were a non-English, I don't know. That's not what I want to say. If English were not my native language, I might hear that and there would be something to grab onto there. I don't know how to explain, but there's, yeah. Well, I think it like, I've been thinking about this, what you, what you said earlier about Adama speaking differently than like the deckhands or the crew or, or whoever. And I think what I've noticed is that his speech is very calculated. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, he chooses his words very carefully. He doesn't use mm-hmm. any more words than necessary. You know, he's very calm. He's very collected. He's very to the point. Like he just like, that's just who he is. You know, I think he also, knows how to tailor like his his words and his tone to the audience like when he's in you know when he's in the CIC and he's in command like he's very much like the like tight no nonsense 
strict commander. When he's in his quarters just shooting the shit with Tide, like you can tell that they're old buddies. Mm-hmm. In a moment like this, he's like he's talking to, you know, his his deck chief, and it's somewhere in between there where like he's very like very focused, very like uh choosing his words carefully. Uh, but he's also like he's not speaking over his mm-hmm. deck hand. Like yeah. You keep my planes flying and I need my planes to fly is a very simple, very straight to the point way of saying, like, I know exactly what your value is, uh, but, you know, don't fuck up. Yeah, like, basically, he's he's saying to, to Tara right there is, like, the only reason you're not in the brig right now is because the deck would fall apart without you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the, and the, the sub-subtext there is, like, get your shit together and do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and... Tira leaves, goes directly to another meeting with Sharon, where she thinks like, "Oh my god, like we we did it, like we got away with it, and like everything's gonna be cool." And he's like, "Not nah, time to bone over. down." <laughs> uh, and th- you know, they have an argument where like he ends up saying, and like she's like, "I deserve an answer as a why," and he's like, "You know, one of my kids, like an innocent kid, is in the brig because of me, because of us, and like this isn't worth that." Uh, and she's like, "All right, fine," and goes to leave. And he's like, "One last thing." Did you leave the hatch coming open last night? And like you can tell, like he's he's no longer sure. Like he's covered for her in the past, and he like he's not going to do it anymore. And he's no longer sure he should. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's got more reason than anybody to be suspicious of her because he's the one who knows about the um, the detonators from mm-hmm. just a few days ago. I mean, for yeah. She also says, this is, this is what solidified for me, or I shouldn't say solidified, but um, I'm leaning more toward her knowing really who she is at this point. Because the line, I can't believe you can just turn your back on us, is like somebody else in her position, like, of course you would believe that. You saw what happened. The whole mm-hmm. ship, almost. you know what I mean? Like, there was almost a, a like, things could have been very bad very quickly um, because of their indiscretion. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that she like that's a manipulative line and it's one that doesn't make sense to me for for the boomer that I know um, from the first two hours of the series or whatever. Um, (laughs) And it just uh, yeah, it it felt uh, kind of like disingenuous to me there. Um, But I could be wrong. I wonder how much of that comes from like, you know, she's. Her world is kind of falling apart around her, and she felt like the one thing she had reliably was this secret relationship with with Galen. And now, like he's saying, like this this can't happen anymore, and she doesn't have that to cling to. Mm-hmm. When like you know, I, I I still like I maintain that at this point she still doesn't fully know. Um, but I think the like the cracks are showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's she suspects for sure. I agree. It's a hell of an episode. It is. It really, really was. Yeah. So, so Andrea, you know, uh, you know what's next. <laughs> I do. It's time for Andrea's Lost Corner. Bada pop. I was literally just gonna say that. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I was really excited. I thought I was uh, getting in under whatever actual thing you wanted to do it's no, not I was, I was actually gonna say it's time for andrew's lost oh, corner it's not as fun if y'all let me do it um <laughs> uh, i mean you didn't record a, an entire uh, 47 minute andrew's lost corner when, when we didn't record the other night <laughs> no she did she sent it to me i've listened to it and it's fantastic <laughs> oh, excellent that's for the patreon um <laughs> 
So I have people who listen to this are like, what Patreon? <laughs> yeah, where's the, where can I get the link to this Patreon? For the record, we have not set up a Patreon yet. We probably will at some point, but we haven't yet. But we keep referencing it. But don't go looking for it because it's not there. That's a lie. And oh, if you want our listeners to take part in the ARG, you have to the ARG. Yeah, you have to give them a little bit of uh, guidance. So Can there I take is part one. In the ARG? Yeah, there is one. You just have to find it. You're part of the ARG. You just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! The Caleb's look like real. us now. The ca- <laughs> <laughs> in jokes about a show, I kind of get now. Um, <laughs> uh, so two things about the Lost Corner, Caleb. You have added to it. Um, you said that Adama said something like, "It's not his direct line, but don't tell me what I can and can't do." That is very John Locke. Um, he okay. hates being told what to do. Um, I would not compare the two of them otherwise, um, because Adama is, um, awesome, a good man and pure of heart. And John is conflicted. Um, and I will leave that at that. Um, unnecessary octagons lost the Dharma. Yes. The Dharma logo is an unnecessary octagon. All of the hatches and stuff and mm-hmm. the, um, the different stations, are all unnecessary octagons, which leads me to posit and immediately accept as canon that Battlestar that the Battlestar Galactica is a lost hatch. It's a Dharma hatch. It's a Dharma hatch. I'm calling it now, and I am right. Um, okay. So you think at some point there's gonna be a crossover episode where like Sawyer pops into the Galactica and is like, "What's uh, this? How <laughs> the fuck did I get here?" Turns out they're turns out in Lost they're all Cylons. <gasps> well, huh. That would probably be better. That has some interesting implications now, doesn't it? Well, okay. So now, okay. Okay. This is Andrea's lost corner. This is not. Sorry. Sorry. This is a safe space. (laughs) Um, And I think that concludes Andrea's lost corner. Okay. Speaking of the unnecessary octagons, uh, one thing that stood out to me uh, this time around is how this, like the shoulders of their tank tops aren't straight. They have uh, like an angle on them. That is also very unnecessary. <laughs> and it's like, what, what's with the, the, like, just not having straight lines in this world. I don't, well, I don't get it's it. It's also weird because, like, their, their tank tops have, like, they've got, like, the gray under the black. Mm-hmm. Right? But the black is, like, smaller than the gray, so the gray shows through. And it's like, why is it like this? <laughs> it's extremely weird. I want them, I want it to be a world where they just never invented the wheel. And so they can't, like, everything has to be at some sort of angle. Like they don't have curves in, yeah. in uh, everything has to be angular Exactly, yeah. I love it. Um, I Okay, we keep talking about unnecessary octagons, and this will come up again in the next episode for sure. But uh, I, I would like to know, Caleb, what is a necessary octagon? A stop sign. Correct answer. Does a stop sign <laughs> have to be an octagon, though? I mean, I don't know that it has to be an octagon, but it is necessary. Okay, I'll take it. And I would say that the shape needs to be consistent um, across signs. So if we've decided that it's the octagon, then it is necessary. Then it has to be. Yeah, but it could as easily be a dodecahedron. Did you just want to say dodecahedron? Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> Kids use dodecahedron. A twenty-sided corner. die. <laughs> 3D stop you signs. Want, you want the stop sign to roll for uh, what you're supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we've come to a stop sign. Roll for initiative. (laughs) 
That's oh how you God, choose who goes first at the Fort Wayne intersection. That's the best way to decide right away. I love that. Because <laughs> I'm never quite sure. That would be helpful for me. Yeah, so we all get out of our cars. We meet in the middle of the intersection. We all roll. We decide who's going to go first. We all go back to our cars, and then we do it. That's great. It's, it's going to be a, a huge time saver. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will slow people down, and it will save lives. So, yeah. uh, Andrea, you had a prediction. Um, yeah, at first I thought a lesser show would show um, Adama smashing that uh, model ship. Um, did you hear that? Ship. Um, <laughs> smashing that model ship. Uh, Chekhov's model ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so my prediction is that some point in this series, probably in the episode that Adama finishes the model ship, the model ship will be smashed, likely by him, um, though not necessarily. So I don't actually remember what happens with that model ship, but I'm going to tell you in my mind what happens with that model ship is when he goes, when he finishes it, he's really proud of it. And so he goes to take it to show Colonel Ty (laughs) and he's walking down the hallway and then smashes it on the floor accidentally. Just like, you know, slips and and, like there's a banana peel and he slips on it. (laughs) I have actually slipped on a banana peel before. I'm not surprised. Um, I know. Um, and or Starbuck comes in, he tells her to be careful, she picks it up and pretends to fumble it, and then actually fumbles it. <laughs> Back to the She pulls a crystal dad. <laughs> I feel like that would be more of a Baltar than a Starbuck. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a Baltar. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Baltar's already broken one of his only glasses. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> one of the last tumblers in existence. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Baltar. Uh, I do vaguely remember what happened to that ship, and I'm not going to tell you because I want to see if either of your predictions play out. Well, I know that mine doesn't. I know that's not what happens. Uh, I will say, though, Caleb, now that you've referenced the Chris O'Dowd bit, we do have to include the link to that video in the show notes. I will make a, uh, a note of that. So I think we talked. Uh, I think we talked about it last week a little bit, I think. I don't know that we did in the episode, but we definitely did uh, as people. What's the yes. difference? As humans, I, we did. If mm. the difference is, there's two differences. The one is if we're recording or not, and then the second difference is if it if I edit it out or not. Okay, so fair. Yeah, but this time we definitely talked about it, so it's going in the show notes for sure. <laughs> All right, no doubt. Well, with that, uh, I think that's an episode. So, uh, thank you again for tuning into Set Condition One. A Night Shift Radio production. Once again, if you uh, enjoyed this, uh, which I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, go ahead and give us a subscribe so you can make sure you're updated every week when we release a new episode. And uh, while you're at it, head on over to nightshiftradio.com slash shows and check out some of our other shows. We got some, uh, we got at least one good one uh, out of five. Uh, so <laughs> uh, check it out and uh, you know, reach out. Let us know what you Spoiler think. Spoiler alert. It's this one. Spoiler. It's this one. This is, this is the one good one. Uh, but that said, we're going to go ahead and jump away to a secure location, and we'll, uh, we'll see you at the rendezvous point next week. So say we all. So say we all. <laughs> so say we all. Begin jump prep. We're leaving. We'll be back. Start your prep. Set Condition 1 is a Night Shift Radio production. Visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.